The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. The Pet Buzz is dedicated to enhancing the bond between pets and their people. Each week, the Pet Buzz provides the latest news and information on how to keep your pets healthy and happy so you can save money and have a fulfilling relationship together. Now, here's your Pet Buzz hosts, Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Hey, greetings from the Pet Buzz Studio located on the Gulf Coast of Florida. I got big news for you guys. I just got a new puppy, a new English toy spaniel, and his name is Churchill. We just call him Church. You know, I purchased him from a wonderful breeder in Pensacola. I liked the breeder right from the start, right from when I contacted her. She was completely professional, thorough. She told me she tested her dogs and really cared about the homes where the dogs were going to actually I think overall, I just liked her because she was genuinely a good gal. So I ended up flying up to Pensacola with a friend who also wanted a puppy. And the most important thing that I was most impressed with was that Christine told me right before I left home, I shouldn't feel obligated to buy a puppy when I came for my visit. Now, that might sound strange to some of you. But I really thought it was the right thing to do. It kind of lessened the pressure for both myself and my friend, Amy. And the visit really allowed myself to get to know Christine better, to meet all of her lovely dogs and her puppies and spend time with my chosen dog without that pressure of, you know, having to pay her right then and there for the dog. You know, I found in my in my history in the dog world that great breeders and I've known some really great breeders. Great breeders never pressure you to purchase a dog. They want to make sure the right person gets the right dog. And that a lot depends on lifestyle, personality, time that you have. You know, home visits really give you the opportunity, like I said, to see the breeder's home, see the dog's parents. You know, it's nice to see how the dogs are kept. It gives you the opportunity to review the contract, receive instructions from the breeder, ask questions, and, and, and anything else you're thinking of. Church came from a really happy, wonderful home. And I like to think that he and his brother, Bibi, ended up in two new ones, my home and uh, my friend Amy's. So Church and Bibi, we love you. And we are looking forward to spending many, many years with you. But now let's talk about what's happening this week on the Pet Buzz. So uh, this week, Stuart Vernon, COO and co-founder of America's Swimming Pool Company, is joining us to talk about pool safety and pets and really how pets can affect your pool. But you didn't think about that. My I Like You of the Week has to do with the new cat food made with mouse. Yes, I said it. Mouse as a protein source. And, you know, we love to share our lifestyles with our pets. So find out how Mandy Patankin shares his life with his dog, Becky, especially right before the Jewish holidays. A new study revealed that humans aren't the only animals who are stoked about getting a free meal. Cats love getting free chow in exchange for doing nothing. So joining us today is Dr. Michael Delgado, a cat behaviorist and research affiliate at UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine, who is the lead author of this study, which was published in the Journal of Animal Cognition. 
Dr. Delgado, welcome to the Pet Buzz today. Thank you so much, Dr. Fleck. And hi, Charlotte. Hi. So given a choice between a free meal and working for his food, Dr. Delgado, what would cats prefer? Yeah, I mean, I think whenever you're looking at research, you have to consider that your own cat is an individual and take that into account. But in our study, what we found was overwhelmingly the cats preferred to eat food that was freely available instead of get it from a food puzzle where they had to do some work. So wait, wait a second. So in other words, cats were freeloaders. <laughs> cats they, wanted, freeloaders. They, they wanted to eat off of a tray. <laughs> they didn't want to climb on a counter. They didn't want to work a food puzzle. They just wanted to snack and grab or grab and go. Is that what they eat a little bit? <laughs> grab and go, right? Grab and imagine? go is perfect. Right. That's kind of like Hayden a little bit. I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah. Our cat, he, he's a grab and go kind of yep. guy. But yep. he grabs and go in multiple rooms on the kitchen table and the second bedroom, right? And his, and his own personality is his own personality. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So, you know, let's compare this to other animals. So do most animals prefer to work for their food? A behavior called, I got this from you, contra free, contra freeloading. <laughs> I sound really sophisticated when I, I said it to myself a few times in the mirror and I thought, wow, I'm, I'm scientific it down. Go ahead. Contra <laughs> yeah. So contra freeloading is a psychological phenomenon that's been studied for many years. In fact, there was a study of cats 50 years ago looking at contra freeloading. And that was um, one of the things that inspired us to do our project. Um, but in general, what we see is that in animals that live in captive environments, so animals in zoos, animals in sanctuaries, um, animals in laboratories, they do, when tested, seem to prefer to work for their food rather than get it for free. And there's different theories about why this might happen, including like, well, maybe they're just bored. Um, maybe this is stimulating natural behaviors, right? Because animals in the wild do need to forage or hunt or do other things to get their food. They don't just get a bowl of whatever they eat. Um, and also, you know, the act of working for your food provides you with information about your environment. Like, is the environment a good source of food? Um, so all other species tested have shown this tendency to work for their food instead of um, preferring to get it for free. And 50 years ago, there was a study of six cats in a lab. It was a very small study, and it showed that cats did not contra freeload. And we thought, well, this seems weird. Why would every other species tested contra freeload except for cats? Someone needs to do this again. And so that was really what inspired us. And we wanted to look at house cats because, you know, in a laboratory, cats might be under a lot of stress. It's not a very like comfortable environment for them. So we thought, oh, well, look at how cats do in the home. How in the devil did you set up a protocol for this study? Yeah, we started by um, thinking about, well, what could we do to get cats to work for food that would be feasible? And so we picked out a food puzzle um, that they could um, work and extract food from. And we picked a food puzzle where we could give them a tray that was the exact same size and shape. So we were kind of controlling for the size and the shape of the object that they were interacting with. And also, so we're not just comparing the food puzzle to what they normally eat their food from, whether it's a, you know, a plate or a bowl. And we had cat owners sign up for the study. We dropped off the equipment to them because this was happening uh, right around the time of COVID. And, um, you know, we trained them how to set it up. But basically, they trained their cats to make sure they could eat food from both the puzzle and the tray. So we introduced the new things to the cats so they wouldn't be stressed out. We know cats can get a little stressed out with novelty. So we gave them some time. Um, the cats had to demonstrate that they could effectively get food out of the puzzle. And if they couldn't, we had to remove them from the study. So we had three cats that we dropped from the study because we didn't <laughs> want them to. Um, we were concerned about their safety, right? We didn't want any right. cats going on hunger strike. Um, were they and then fat? We, were they, no, no, I mean, they weren't. Did they have lost a few pounds? 
Um, well, you know, with, you know, even with (laughs) overweight cats, you don't want them to lose weight too. No, of course, of course. Um, so, you know, safety first. So, um, we made sure that the cats knew how to use the puzzle before we finally enrolled them in the study. And then we also got them used to wearing a little activity tracker, um, so that we could track their movements. And once they were set up, um, then we had the owners test them. We did 10 sessions, um, where the cats had access to the same amount of food in the puzzle and the same amount of food in the tray for 30 minutes. And they video recorded the, um, what the cats did during that 30 minutes for each session. So we got um, 300 minutes of footage on each kitty. And we basically just measured um, which source of food did they go to first? Which one did they eat more food from? And which one did they spend more time at? So that's how we measured their preference. And just to be clear, most of the cats in the study ate food from both. Um, so it's not like they just completely rejected working for their food. It's just that they showed a very strong preference for the free food over the food in the puzzle. Right. It's kind of like being in a restaurant. The owner brings the food, puts it down on the floor or the table, and then the cat, and the cat eats it. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I just think it was I just thought it was funny. I'm curious. Did you see uh, w- were there any differences in male and female subjects? I yeah, mean, it, it's interesting, actually. And the four cats who showed kind of strong evidence for some contrafree loading, meaning they ate all of the food available to them from both the tray and the puzzle were males. So there could be something there that someone could explore in the future and see if male cats are more um, food motivated. I mean, I do think that a lot of what maybe motivates cats to use the food puzzle is how hungry they are and how excited they are sure. about food. Dr. Michael, we're up against a break. So can you please hang on and we'll pick up the conversation in our next segment. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Epi-Pet.com EpiPet is another proud partner of the Pet Buzz. They call me Prince like I'm royalty or something. But the places I've lived ain't no palaces. So I don't need grilled salmon or a new scratching post. Just give me a cardboard box and a can of tuna and we're good. You can even change my name. I'm cool being the kitty formerly known as Prince. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Now, here's another treat for you from Pet Buzz Plus. Pet Buzz Plus. Hi, this is Barbara from Clear Lake, Iowa, here to tell you about my great little Portuguese podango named Gobi. He's my internal compass when I work too long, and he's a great little traveler. He's also a great cuddler. We love listening to the Pet Buzz. We're kind of like your pet. We love being social on Pet Buzz Plus. Pet Buzz Plus. 
I'm pet expert Charlotte Reed, and I want to remind you how important it is to protect your pet against fleas, ticks, and mosquitoes with preventative tablets and topicals. By giving your dogs and cats preventative meds throughout the year, you are protecting your pet from Lyme disease, heartworm, flea allergies, worms, and more, causing unwanted and costly vet bills. Most importantly, these parasites can infiltrate your home, causing you and your family's health to be compromised. Remember, healthy pet, healthy you. We know people love their dogs and many like to take them everywhere to lunch, to work, shopping. But dogs are only welcome in places where they behave. Our very own etiquette and pet trendologist Charlotte Reed discusses decorum for every occasion in her book, Miss Fido Manners, complete book of dog etiquette. She provides tips for behaving at home and on the street, eating in or going out. Plus, extending pet courtesy to others in places of business, being mindful of others while traveling, and treating veterinarians, pet sitters, and dog groomers with respect. With Miss Fido Manners, pet owners can learn how to behave appropriately in all kinds of situations. Miss Fido Manners from pet trendologist Charlotte Reed on Amazon. Well, we're back on the Pet Buzz with Dr. Michael Delgado talking about her study on cats and various feeding habits. You know, I know when they're kittens, you find a female or female cats mature faster than male cats, especially when it comes to basic predatory, early predatory behaviors like batting and pouncing. So I'm wondering if females learned how to use the puzzle faster. That's a great question. We actually didn't look at the adaptation process and it would have been fascinating to see how quickly they um, picked up using the puzzle. And we didn't look at that, but I think it's a great question and definitely a good idea for a future research project. Was that a Hagen cat tree, like the feeder? Um, Well, that one was not the one we used in the study. We used the the Trixie tunnel feeder. Um, So it's a round object with... um, Basically, it's on the, it's low to the ground, and it's got different tunnels and uh, um, cups in it that the cat had to um, pull food actually out of. go into. Okay, they didn't have to go into it, but they have to put their paw in there a little bit. Oh, okay, yeah. Talk about the use of these activity monitors on the cats in the studies. I mean, did you look at you know how many steps they were taking or? Yeah, so we used a product called the Fitbark, which is a company, you know, it's a company that designed it for dogs, but it's been adapted to cats. It's very small. And unfortunately, it doesn't give you like the number of steps your pet does a day. It's really like they have a proprietary algorithm, but it is what we call a triaxial accelerometer. So it uses the same technology as a Fitbit or any activity tracker that people use on themselves. So it's measuring movement in three dimensions. And so what we got was kind of a... um, a movement or activity measure called uh, bark points, but it doesn't, it doesn't tell you the number of steps, but we could use that to compare like this cat only had this many activity points and this other cat had this many activity points. So we could look at the relationship. Originally we thought that more active cats would be more likely to contra free load. Um, But again, um, you know, sometimes you don't find the results you expected. We found no relationship between activity and a preference to use the food puzzle. So the, lazier or less active cats um, were not really any different from the more active cats in their willingness to uh, work for food. In my practice, I have a number of pet parents that come in and complain that their 
their canine, their dog is eating too fast mm -hmm. and then sometimes spits up afterwards. Yeah. So I sometimes recommend to them not only to to lift the, the plate, but but also use the puzzles. So it would yep. make it more difficult for the canine to get to the food and maybe eat a little more slowly. Do you find that that's the same consideration for cats? Absolutely. And cats, we call that scarf and barf. And ah. um, <laughs> yeah, food puzzles. I mean, certainly, as you know, um, any cat who is vomiting frequently, um, we should not just treat that as um, normal. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, you should talk to your veterinarian to make sure your cat doesn't have any gastrointestinal problems or other issues that are going on. Um, but assuming that your vet gives your cat the all clear, a uh, food puzzle is a great way to slow down their eating. Um, we know that certainly if we eat too fast, sometimes we don't recognize we're full. And so I believe that, you know, slowing down the feeding can help your pet maybe stop eating before, um, before they're full or before they've eaten more than they need. So we can reduce um, maybe their food intake or, or slow it down and certainly try to get cats doing more of what's natural to them, which is to eat several small meals a day. That's kind of their hunting style is to eat um, several small prey items throughout the day rather than eat large meals um, once or twice a day. So I, I definitely encourage the use of food puzzles, even if that's not cat's preference overall. Um, and maybe your cat might be different. Your cat might love food puzzles um, that, I think there's a lot of benefits to using them. I use them with my own cats. You know, I was just curious, I mean, what different types of food puzzles would be like. I mean, maybe this one was a little harder because your cat had to stick its paw in. You know, sure. what if it was more open? I mean, yeah. maybe that hindered the cat. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. I don't know. I'm just yeah, curious. I think. No, I think um, a few things, you know, certainly as someone who advocates using food puzzles with cats, you know, to then come out and say, well, cats don't like using food puzzles seems to be a contradiction. And, and really, you know, you have to look at it. Well, we, we only had time to test one puzzle and we tried to control as many other factors as possible, which is why we chose to feed the cats on the tray that was the same size and shape. But um, perhaps a stationary food puzzle doesn't inspire predatory behavior in cats and maybe, you know, movement or um maybe something that's more similar to hunting behavior would stimulate them to use it more. Um, so, you know, there are food puzzles that move around like the balls with the holes in it and put the kibble inside. And I think the other thing too, is just in this case, the cats had only been exposed to the food puzzle for a few weeks. So maybe with more time, they would actually shift their preference as they got better at using the food puzzle. I mean, everyone knows when you're learning something new, it can get frustrating and so if you're given the choice between doing something new and challenging versus doing something that's familiar and easy, we all gravitate towards the, um, the easy and, and familiar. And the other thing I always like to add is just, you know, I might feel like sitting on my butt on the couch instead of going for a jog, but I know that after the run, I'll feel better. It's good for me. And so, you know, just because I don't prefer it in the moment doesn't mean it might not have <laughs> benefits. <laughs> So, yeah, I guess the last question is, what can pet owners take away from this study? Yeah, I would say um, certainly this is not a mandate to like throw out your food puzzles. And if you haven't tried food puzzles, I would say it's worth trying. But I would also say it's important to introduce them slowly. Um, you might want to try using them with treats or a novel food so that your cat is more curious and interested. Um, sometimes, you know, you have to up the value of the food to sure. make it more exciting. High and value would, treat, high yeah. value food. Yeah. And so if your cat is young and active and very food motivated, they're an excellent candidate for using food puzzles. If they're not as food motivated or older, um, you might want to just introduce it as a choice at first and just watch them carefully. But, I, you know, I, my last cat, she was she used food puzzles up to just a few weeks before she died. She was 16 and she enjoyed just fishing a few pieces of 
kibble out of her food puzzle. Um, so, uh, you know, I would say don't rule it out, but just be thoughtful about it and don't force it on your cat. Like don't expect them to just shift their behavior immediately. It might take some time for them to get used to it. I just don't think it's really interesting that they wouldn't want to work for their food. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, like cats are so curious, you know, they kind of sit around and lounge, you know, I mean, I think about the feral cats in my neighborhood. I mean, they hang out at this one house, Kelly's house, and um, I'll show you the picture. And yeah, she just serves them up the grub. Well, I'm looking at this teleologically. And if I got a steak in front of me, I'd better not have a puzzle that I have to only eat pieces of one. I want to eat that steak. So I'm intrigued that they'll do better with a puzzle. That's such a male tood. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such okay. a male tood. It's fine. It's not like you said a salad. Well, I have a salad with it. Whatever. Salad and steak. It's an everyday procedure. Which are you more willing to work for, the salad or the steak? Uh, work for neither one. I want them without working for them. <laughs> <laughs> that's my whole point he wants them served <laughs> up on a platter put yeah. in front of him. no obstructions please <laughs> exactly well it was such great talking to you wasn't it yes it's very intriguing too yeah it, it definitely was i'm thinking about hayden using a food puzzle. And, you know and i'm intrigued too because with with covid the way it is and the conflicts that we have in the medical community which really are conflicts it's just it's studies that give us different directions that with people we're supposed to eat smaller amounts yeah. every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we've had a, a, another study with another group with cats and they're supposed to eat just once a day. Oh, and, yeah. I saw that study. And, you know, what are people supposed to believe? The fact of the matter is most of us serve up the food to our cats and that's yes. fine. The yes. cats aren't really working in factories anymore. You know, they're not like <laughs> killing mice or maybe that was Yorkies or something. Dr. Delgado, thank you so much for being with us today. That was really informative and fun. Yeah, thank you it, so much for having me. Dr. Michael's website is Michael, that's M-I-K-E-L, Delgado, D-E-L-G-A-T-O dot com. Ever wonder what goes on inside the Pet Buzz studio? We post full-length video versions of all of our guests on our YouTube channel. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, epi-pet.com. EpiPet is another proud partner of the Pet Buzz. Sure, I'm a little rough and tough. Somebody's got to me. I like the outdoors. Camping. Boating, riding in your truck with my head out the window. Yeah, I'll poop outside. Doesn't everyone? A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Hey, I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed, and research shows walking at least a half an hour every day can reduce a person's risk for heart disease and other serious illnesses. So regular walking is a great way to live a long and happy life. 
For most dogs, an hour of physical activity each day is necessary and will help them lead healthier lives free of disease. Walking a dog does not only have a physical benefit, there are plenty of psychological benefits for both the dog and the owner. There are so many smells, sights, and sounds in the outdoors that a dog is mentally stimulated every time he or she walks out the front door. Taking a dog on a walk will also help to solidify the strong bond between you and your animal. Give your dog some positive attention by doing what he or she loves. Take your dog out for a neighborhood walk today. Now you know what your dog feels like waiting for you to go on your daily walk. Welcome back to the Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz. Enhancing the bond between pets and their people. That's the way it has to be because that's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. I love it so much. I like it. It's to die for. I like it. Here's one product that I wanted to bring to your attention and get your comments about. So while I was out in Super Zoo, if you remember, that's the pet industry show that I went to Las Vegas for a few weeks ago. Well, anyway, I came across a new food on the marketplace and it's called Mouser. So Mouser is the world's first cat food with cats, most natural prey. And that's mice. And according to the website, all of their products are sourced and made in the USA and packaged in PBA free cans. They have a patent pending food that's 97% meat, gluten free, with no carbohydrates, fillers, no needless thickeners. Okay, remember, everything is with mice. Okay, so one of their diets is called Feel Hunter, and that's made with chicken and mice. Forest Hunter is made with turkey and mice, and Pond Hunter is made with duck and mice, and Brush Hunter is made with rabbit and mice. So all of these diets, like I said, are made with mouse. And according to the manufacturer, cats love the taste. Now, you all know I have a cat, my cat named Hayden. Hayden hasn't tried this food yet, but I'm going to serve it up to Hayden and get the real taste test from a real finicky feline. Uh, And I'm going to get back to you uh, next week with his review of the food. Uh, but just so you know, the website for this feline deductible delight is muridaypets.com. And that's M-U-R-I-D-A-E pets.com. Pets with an S. Need more buzz? We've got plenty more for you on our social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We call it Pet Buzz Plus. It's the best way for you to engage with like-minded pet lovers everywhere. So remember, Pet Buzz Plus. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers! I want the truth! This is going to take long. You got the time. So, Dr. Fleck, I'm going to ask you, should you be worried if your animal skips a meal or two? No. Probably not if it skips a meal or two. But let's take a step back. We need to talk about cats versus the canine or the dog. Okay. Um, because cats really hide diseases a lot more than what dogs do. Generally speaking, they're more social with us and their behavior is more recognizable. Mm-hmm. But cats can hide their illness. So as a beginning of this, I would just say that if you start noticing problems with your cat, 
instantly, that's when you should go to the vet. Okay. With the dog, you can possibly wait depending upon what the behavior and conditions are. You know, I think it's interesting because occasionally our dogs will miss a meal if it's really hot. Morrow's a picky eater, sometimes our nine pound dog. You know, he might not eat. Now, if our nine pound dog misses a meal, then I get a little worried because he likes to eat. But, you know, on hot days, but I think if you miss more than two meals, it's maybe a good indication. Certainly. And especially when people try to give treats along with that, that they know they love and they don't take the treats. That might be a good warning sign. Yeah, I think that's great. Okay, so we have a lot of overweight dogs these days. And I think uh, that could lead to like diabetes and a bunch of other things. So what if we see a dog that's got a excessive thirst? If it's got excessive thirst, you, you just mentioned one of the big diseases that, uh-huh. that we talk about with excessive thirst and urination, and that would be diabetes. But, you know, that could also be another kidney problem, too. Right. And kidney disease is something that's progressive and happens with our pets. And always remember, our pets are living longer just like we're living longer. So what kind of diseases do we express? Kidney diseases, pancreatic diseases, diabetes, et cetera, mm-hmm. as we mature. So those are all warning signs as they mature. And then probably a good response is if your pet acts a little bit uh, with behavior that's not normal as we're aging, that would certainly be an indication that Okay, so you if you find yourself, vet. you're mm-hmm. refilling the water bowl a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Probably an excessive amount of urination. Or if you're emptying the kitty box. And he needs to go outside more or he's having accidents in the house that he's never had before. It's time to go to the vet. If you've just joined us, this segment of the Pet Buzz is called Flex Facts. And we're talking to veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck, my co-host and partner in life, about when it's time to take your pet to the vet. Okay, so let's talk about sudden weight loss, because I think that comes up a lot. So most pets these days, as we said, are totally overweight. They're little fatties like a lot of us Americans. But what if our pets really start to lose weight? Should we be happy that he's getting slim and thin or should we kind of panic? Well, you know, as as we age, as people, sometimes we put on weight and sometimes we lose weight. So some of that may be a normal experience. But Mm -hmm. if you start seeing excessive loss of weight, would you say 10% yeah, of body say weight? I'd say 10% okay. that I start becoming a little bit concerned. Um, but there's so many variables that could cause that. Mm-hmm. So that's why veterinarians are encouraging, for example, wellness blood tests every year. Okay. After the pet is eight, nine, yeah. 10 years old. And especially if you have a smaller dog, you know, like we said, we just mentioned Wally's nine pounds. If he lost, 10% of his body weight, that would definitely show on him. And make sure that if you're doing the wellness test, that you're getting things like thyroid testing because that changes with time. And does that change with weight as well? And that'll change with weight okay. as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about if, uh, lastly, if you have a sluggish and all of a sudden really tired pet, he's lethargic. He's again, we could go back to a whole variety of different types of problems that exist. And it might even be normal just as they're aging and they want to slow down some. Could because of the weather. It's getting warmer. And it's getting warmer. If we lived in the north, mm-hmm. if it was getting colder, they sometimes want to sleep more too. Right. So, yes, the weather has has a, a factor on it. But I think the aging is the biggest normal experience that one might have. Yeah, and also, not- right, I would think if also, like, if it's getting hot, you know, I know because I have an arthritic knee. If it's getting hot, 
you know, sometimes they might not be as active as they used to be. Maybe they have a pulled muscle or they don't want to go out for walks. That's, I think, would be a sign. If you have a a normally active dog who, after a few days, doesn't want to go outside. Yeah, yeah. If you don't want to go outside and and you notice some patterns just changing behavior-wise, it's not bad to go ahead and, and visit with your veterinarian and have that conversation and see if there is something that may be moving in a bad direction. Well, you know, these are great tips and really something to think about. But Dr. Fleck, I know that you have some more and we really need to wrap this segment up, but... I would say one other thing. Okay. Always err on the safe side. I like that. That's good. Always err on the safe side. So so forearmed is forewarned. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. So we're going to put some of your other um, tips about taking your pet to the vet on our social media channels at the Pet Buzz. I think that's going to be great. So stay tuned. We're going to be right back. This is a really important segment to carefully listen to. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Know what? What? Since I got adopted, I've learned a lot about these humans. Uh, I know. I mean, check out these two. It's Flirt City over here. Yeah, I noticed that. It looks like my human is definitely into your human. Oh, look. I think she's getting his number. Nice. Your human's got some sweet moves. Takes after his dog. (laughs) Oh, look, they're doing that thing where they put their arms around each other. She kicked up a leg. It's like in the movies. That's awesome. Looks like we're going to be hanging out a little bit more. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. And now, Pet Buzz News from around the globe. Don't you love global pet news? It really gives an international flair to the show. So this story came straight from Korea. It seems that a four-year-old dog named Bakgu has shown once again why dogs are not only man's, but a woman's best friend. Bakgu's owner is a nine-year-old woman with dementia. She's living in South Korea and she went missing at the end of August. So when police checked the security camera footage of a nearby farm, they saw that this woman and her little white dog were leaving the village. So, of course, because she has dementia, they quickly launched a search operation with the fire department, as well as volunteer residents of her village who completely scoured the area as rain poured down. So finally, about 40 hours later, she was found in the middle of a rice field about a mile, a little bit less than a mile and a half from her home. She had collapsed in this wet area where the rice was growing really tall, and it was really hiding her from full view, leaving her drenched and really unable to get up. I mean, 90 years old, she was really frail. Well, it was Baku who authorities credited with the 90-year-old woman's eventual rescue. The search team sent out a thermal drone, which detected the little dog's thermal signature in the rice field. The woman was found. She's now recovering in the hospital. But this is what really I loved about the story. It seems that on Monday, authorities awarded Baku a new title for his courage. 
The National Fire Agency had introduced legislation last year that allowed the appointment of honorary fire ambassador and rescue dogs, making Baku the country's first ever honorary rescue dog. So I want to congratulate Baku for being such a great pet to such a frail older gal. It just goes to show you our pets are capable of so much, including saving us. And I love this story. It's time to move on to our next guest. He's talking about pools. And many of you are probably thinking pools. It's September. Well, the summer may be over, but pets and pool safety should be on everyone's mind really throughout the year as they travel with pets, visit warmer locations, take care of their pets and even care for their pools. So joining us today is Stuart Vernon, the COO and co-founder of America's Swimming Pool Company. Hello, Stuart, and welcome to the Pet Buzz. Hello. Thank you for having me. You know, Stuart, we're so glad that you're here. So why is it so important to consider pool safety when it comes to animals? Yeah, it's a great question and a topic I'm not sure enough people with swimming pools actually think about because as you too well know, I mean, sometimes a pet is uh, is as important a member of, of the household, frankly, sometimes more so uh, than some, some of the humans that live in the house. And, you know, the swimming pool can be a- absolutely as dangerous uh, for a pet uh, than, than even a child. And so a lot of times people don't realize that and, and they take that for granted. And that's how accidents happen. You know, I think some people have a tendency to believe that all dogs swim. Is that true? So not only is that, is that not true in, in theory, uh, it's, it's definitely not true in my own personal, in my own personal practice. I have actually had to jump in the pool, uh, for a neighbor's dog before at, at the lake. Uh, and and pull the pull the dog out. It was a boxer, uh, boxers. I, I learned from that incident that boxers are known uh, as as non swimming dogs, and and as are several breeds. And that dog sunk straight to the bottom, as he apparently had done in the past. And interestingly, so we got the dog out, and everything was fine. But interestingly, that neighbor at that point uh, invested in a a collar, a dog collar, an alarm system. So if the collar got wet. Whether the dog fell in the pool or the lake, the alarm goes off and notifies the homeowner inside, which is, is, is a great way to protect your pet. I think that's a turtle system. And actually, Stuart, it's funny because you telling me that story reminds me of your being very much like Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, because The Rock had two French bulldogs. Mm-hmm. He brought them into his house. He let them run out in the yard. And what did they do? They took a beeline straight for his pool. Now, one French bulldog sank like a brick. And the other one could swim. So there is the rock whipping off his clothes and jumping in the pool with his shoes and his cell phone in his pocket to save the one French bulldog who did not swim. So you just don't know. Sometimes it's breed like also American Eskimos are not known to swim. Uh, Like you said, the boxer we know is not not necessarily a great swimmer, but it's important to think about those type of things. Does your dog swim or does it or is it a breed issue? Because that could be really helpful and save a life. Exactly. So, okay. So let's talk about what we need to teach our pets in regards to the pool. I mean, usually it's about it's children, but since pets are the new fur kids, what do we need to teach them in regards <laughs> to pool the pool? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And so there's a, there's a couple things here. Yeah, one, um, you know, a, a lot of people these days with their swimming pool, uh, they're installing safety covers or tr the trampoline style covers that you have seen. And I, I think people, homeowners, pool owners have to realize, you know, that, that that applies to their pets as well and have to think about that when they're closing their pool at night or closing their pool for the winter. Uh, because that's really when accidents can, can occur, when people don't, they're not thinking about their pool, they're not using them, they're not enjoying them on nights and weekends and holidays uh, during the off season. You know, an, another thing I wanted to mention on that note is when people think about pools and pets, they don't realize that the opposite is true. So not only can, a, can pools be dangerous for the pet if they don't know how to swim, but on the opposite hand, if, if dogs can swim, and pets can swim and they love to get in the pool, that can be a problem as well for the, for the pool. Uh, I've read before in, in our world, a dog, that, like a Labrador, a dog that gets in the pool can be the equivalent of 20 or 30 humans getting in the pool because of how much dirt, debris, pet hair uh, can get into the filtration system and eat up the chemicals. So it's interesting. We've got to be careful for a dog who doesn't know how to swim and then we have to be careful for, for dogs that love to swim and get in the pool all day, every day. I think one of the most important things is when we do have a pool and we do have pets, we need to teach them how to get out of the pool because a lot of times pets will fall into the pool, but they won't know how to get out. So it's important to have docks floating in the pool or, um, or entry systems like a scamper ramp so pets can get out of the pool or they know where the steps are uh, so they can get out of the pool as well. Don't you agree, Dr. Flack? I do. And I, I think the comments that he was just making about the lab, when it, when it dives in the pool, with six or seven people's dirt or, or debris that comes off of people is equivalent to that. I, I guess we didn't think about that that much, but that's really important, which kind of brings up the, the next question about maintaining your pool. It would probably require some different adjustments of maintaining if you have pets versus not having pets, correct? Without a doubt, Doc, uh, the most difficult pools that we have to maintain, bar none, uh, are the swimming pools that, that dogs frequent. They eat up the chemicals. These pools require extra chemicals. They, they clog up the filter systems. And But what's so funny is we will continuously tell the homeowner that. And as you too well know, uh, the homeowner doesn't care. If they want their pet to be in the pool, the, the pet's going to be in the pool. And, and God bless them. That's, you know, that's, that's what that pool's there for. But yeah, it can be a real problem. So Charlotte loves the, the pool boy. So she needs, to, <laughs> she needs to remind the pool boy that, that the dog goes in the water a lot. So that now, now you're making pays. it seem totally sexist. I love everybody who works for us. So I'm nice to everyone who so, works for us. So is it, so she, the she should re remind the pool boy about the, the <laughs> Special consideration for maintaining the pool. And that's kind of a serious question. That, that's exactly right. But first, I'll address the nickname. My, my wife and kids uh, call me Pool Boy. So uh, <laughs> that's very endearing, near and dear to my heart. Uh, but yes, we, we have many instances where we do not know that the pets use the pool. And, you know, that's like one hand tied behind our back when we're trying to, to do our job. So always, pool owners, uh, always tell your pool professional uh, about the pets that use the pool. We'll treat the pool differently because of that. 
Hey, Stuart, we're up against a break. So can you hang on with us and and come back and we'll pick up the conversation in our next segment? You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. www.epi-pet.com EpiPet is another proud partner of the Pet Buzz. Need more buzz? We've got plenty more for you on our social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We call it Pet Buzz Plus. It's the best way for you to engage with like-minded pet lovers everywhere. So remember, Pet Buzz Plus. We're back on the Pet Buzz with Stuart Vernon talking about pool safety for pets and how pets affect our pools. I mean, you're you're not an expert in the behavior of pets, but maybe in the water. We take our kids to teach them how to swim. Can we teach our pets how to swim? We see it all the time. There's no question. Um, So as we all know, I mean, you know, doggy paddle. Uh, is a real thing. And we see the, the, the best way for that dog to survive the, is the fall, uh, the initial fall, the dog learning how to go under and pop right back up and doggy paddle. But then it's teaching them, uh, as you guys mentioned earlier, it's teaching them their nearest exit point. So showing them where the steps are or where the benches are in the deep end. So it's very important. A lot of homeowners will try to keep their dogs out of the pool. I think it's very important to make sure Uh, You do throw your dog in the pool, obviously, when you're there uh, and have some help so that you can see the dog uh, sink, bob down, doggy paddle and and exit the pool. And they'll never forget that the dog. Yeah. I mean, it's really so many people don't realize that a lot of reasons that dogs drown in the pool is because they don't know where to get out and they get tired from trying to just doggy paddle over and over. Those for that's for the dogs that swim. And then, of course, the dogs that don't swim are going to drown pretty quickly. The other consideration as well is making sure a pool is covered because wildlife, cats, a lot of times your neighbor's yeah. dog yeah. will fall. So, you know, just like um, like Stuart mentioned, it's important to have gates around your pool, like equipment, like safety turtles, things that will that your pet can wear like a child so that it's really important. The last thing that I'm really concerned about is the fact that pets are curious creatures, a lot of times we store our chemicals like in a cabana. But I think, don't you think, Stuart, it's a great idea to lock up those pool chemicals? It is. The, the easiest tried and true trick here is getting a, a Rubbermaid bin uh, that has a lid on it that, that seals shut. Uh, not, not only for your pets, but you just you never know when a curious, you know, three year old, five year old is is walking around. So. It's so easy to, to think that your chemicals are, are sealed, you know, in the bucket that you buy them in. Uh, but so often the lids don't get shut right. Water can get in. Pets can get in. Children can get in. So get your Rubbermaid bin uh, and stick it by your equipment and, and put the chemicals in there. Stuart, that, that's great. This is really informative. And 
really helpful for people, especially if they have pools or if they're near the water for their pets. Um, I'm just wondering if where's the entrepreneurs for making pet swimming school projects? <laughs> there, there you go. That's maybe that's the next big thing, Doc. I like that. I, I think maybe that's what you should. Uh, you and Stuart should get together, Doc, when you're because you're looking for you. You never next you time I'm up and making, I'll you, do you that. You never have enough <laughs> hours go. in the day. You know, I look here. Here's the reality. I mean, just like Stuart, we live in the South. So a lot of us down here and I mean, obviously, this that, you know, this radio show broadcasts all over. Um, but there's two things to recognize. Number one, a lot of people in the North and the Midwest, unless they have indoor swimming pools, are not going to be swimming this time of the year. But it's important to keep this information alive because we're in the South and we do keep our pools down here open. This is the much. only time of the year they're swimming in outdoor pools. Well, all year <laughs> round. I mean, the summer is wrapping up Labor Day weekend, yeah, you know, right. but this has happened. But, you know, people down here, we swim all year round. And some of us have enclosed pools. Yes. Um, or some people, you know, have indoor pools. But it's important. Pool safety is important all the time to talk about. I actually lost my first family pet into a pool when he was older had dementia and he just happened to fall in and nobody was there and we lost him. Yeah. That's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. But maybe next time you need to hire a pool boy. Got to. And on that note, we're going to wrap up the interview. Well, just to remind you, that was Stuart Vernon, the COO of America's swimming pool company talking about pools and pet safety, as well as how, Pets affect our pools, things I've never even thought about before. So the America Swimming Pool Company website is ASPOOLCO.com. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We know people love their dogs and many like to take them everywhere to lunch, to work, shopping. But dogs are only welcome in places where they behave. Our very own etiquette and pet trendologist Charlotte Reed discusses decorum for every occasion in her book, Miss Fido Manners, complete book of dog etiquette. She provides tips for behaving at home and on the street, eating in or going out. Plus, extending pet courtesy to others in places of business, being mindful of others while traveling, and treating veterinarians, pet sitters, and dog groomers with respect. With Miss Fido Manners, pet owners can learn how to behave appropriately in all kinds of situations. Miss Fido Manners from pet trendologist Charlotte Reed on Amazon. Can't get enough of the buzz? We're online at thepetbuzz.com with daily features including helpful tips from Charlotte, more flex facts, and a lot of ways for you to save on all of your favorite pet needs. How often should you bathe your pet? Well, I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed, and I'm asked that question often. How often you should wash your dog depends on a number of factors, including his health, breed, coat, and activity level, as well as where these activities are taking place. Dogs who spend days outside rolling and things are going to need a bath far more often than the ones who spend most of their time on the couch. 
Or you can always take the smell test. If your dog walks into the room and you can smell them, it's time for a bath. Make sure when it's time for a bath, you gather up all the supplies, including a non-slip mat and plenty of towels. Use shampoo formulated for dogs and turn your cell phone off to avoid distraction. And if you have a dog that hates getting a bath, smear some peanut butter on the bathtub wall and let him lick it off while you bathe him. Then he'll know bathing can really be a treat. Brace yourselves for big news. We're going to the place where all the action is. It's time for Pet Buzz Celebrity Pet News. The most sensational news. Fantastic. I'm so excited. You ready? Here's pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. We love to share our lifestyles with our pets. It's one of the mantras I completely believe in. And this is just what actor Mandy Patinkin does before leaving for a trip to ease his dog Becky's separation anxiety. So Patinkin records himself singing Becky's pre-meal blessings. I know, sounds kind of a little unusual, but it's what he does. Patinkin sings three Jewish prayers before his dog's every meal. The me, Shabak, the Shema, and the Motsi. Mandy recorded the whole set for his son Gideon to play for Becky while he was dog sitting his four-legged sibling. Becky is such a good Jewish little four-legged girl. She doesn't eat until the prayers are concluded. I don't know how one gets a dog to wait, but I guess with lots of practice you do. Well, all I have to do is say Shenatova Becky. That's happy Jewish New Year for all of you who don't know. So I'm curious, do any of you share your religious way of life with your pets? Many Christians bring their pets to the church to be blessed on St. Francis's feast day because of his love for animals as expressed in his canticle of creatures. If you remember, St. Francis of Assisi is known for his love of animals and his preaching to the animals. This celebration of St. Francis usually takes place on October 4th. Uh, Check out local churches in your area and take part of this big celebration. People are known to bring all types of animals, whether it's dogs, cats, iguanas, you name it, parrots, they bring it. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. As we always say, it's too soon to wrap the show. But before we go, we want to give you a preview for next week's show. So next week, we're going to talk with Pet Nation's Mark Cushing. Pet Nation's a new book out on the market. It's really fascinating. It really talks about our social, economic, and cultural life with our pets, and even financial life with our pets. Mark Cushing is the founder and the CEO of the Animal Policy Group. He was a guest a few years ago on the Pet Buzz, and a fascinating conversation I expect to have with Mark Cushing. We also want to thank our guest today, which is Dr. Michael Delgado and Stuart Vernon. Of course, we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. Shampoos, skin and coat sprays, sunscreen, ear cleaner and supplements for your dogs and cats. Most importantly, remember we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. 
Thanks for listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. The Pet Buzz is dedicated to enhancing the bond between pets and their people. If you and your pets need even more buzz, we're online at thepetbuzz.com and our social media channels, Pet Buzz Plus, the best way for you to engage with like-minded pet lovers everywhere.